Hello everybody, welcome to another episode of Tales from Tolt. My name is Dwayne Davidson, your host. This is a program where we discuss the fascinating and rich history of that place we call the Sonoma Valley, basically from Monroe to North Bend. Hey folks, well, I'm really excited about today's guest. My guest today is uh, Matthew Waddington. Hello, Matthew. Hello, Dwayne. Nice to talk to you. Thank you for having me. Oh, you bet. You bet. I'm really excited about because this is kind of something that uh, was something new to me. And I'm really glad that we're going to be sharing with our listeners today about uh, what you do and the interesting perspective you bring to historical documentation. I want to begin by just kind of setting this up for folks. What happened was not too long ago, a couple of weeks ago, I got a uh, email or a phone conversation, a phone uh, voicemail message from Matthew saying that he had some information about the uh, bridge that he wanted to share. Uh, the bridge being the uh, old swing bridge in Duval. Now to kind of tell folks what this is, the, the swing bridge was the first bridge in Duval. Uh, before the swing bridge, there was a number of, of ferries. Uh, there was actually quite a few at different times uh, up and down the um, uh, river in different locations. And when there was a need for a more permanent uh, structure to get people across the river, because basically people need to get across the river all the time, that's where everybody lived, was a bridge was constructed in 1905. And this predates the railroads by just a few years. And so riverboat traffic was still very important. And so they needed a bridge that could not disrupt uh, the riverboat traffic. And so they built this bridge in 1905. It was later replaced by two different uh, second bridge that you can still see the pillars to just to the south of the bridge you drive across currently. You can see the pillars of that bridge. And then the third bridge is the one we're still using today. But that first bridge was a fascinating bridge because this thing actually, right. well, just in basic terms, Matthew, go ahead and tell folks uh, yeah. what did you do? Yeah, it's a really great, really great structure. I, I think that, you know, part of my interest too is, isn't just the bridge but it's just kind of looking at the, those old photos and the old town uh watching how and thinking about reading those old records of how the town kind of progressed you know and the bridge was a super important component of it right off the bat and uh it was about uh 200 feet long 192 feet long and uh, there's a whole series of kind of iconic pictures of it that the historical society has and other folks have so uh, being an architect and having some of those skills, I kind of was born at a time where you kind of were between hand drafting and, and working with computer and somehow exactly right I was on the cusp so I can do both. But uh, um, I have some of those skills that allow me to reconstruct things if I need to from photographs, basically. And, and there's just you know, pieces of software that are available to do that. And, and over the years, you, you do that for how I do that for houses. So I thought I'd apply those skills to rebuilding thing, things like that bridge. And it's exciting. And then that kind of tied in, uh, connected me with you and then with Alan Miller and I've known the Coster boys for a long time. So got a lot of information that I wouldn't have had otherwise that really uh, allowed me on that particular structure to really dial in on the side members, you know, it's making it really, really what it pretty, pretty much how, what it, best we could guess, best I could guess at least of what it was constructed of and how it was constructed and how it moved and all those things. And it's a fascinating, fascinating structure that most people wouldn't even realize was there or where it was. So, yeah, it's a great structure. 
Yes, and I, I do appreciate that. Yes, uh, Matthew has brought in the likes of Alan Miller, who, who uh, everybody knows is just a local historian extraordinaire, and also uh, Bob Costers, uh, the same, uh, who's still who still works out at Carnation Farms is uh, in uh, in history and established some of the different uh, facts that helped him reconstruct this bridge in this uh, digital format. And what so intrigued me is when I first saw this, I thought, okay, a, a digital picture. What, what, so what, we got we got actual pictures. And then it really, uh, I was part of this wonderful uh, email chain and saw all this information going back and forth. And what really fascinated me about what you do, Matthew, is that when the people construct these uh, digital images, redraw this, make this new 3D, if you will, and everything else, it, it actually brings a different perspective to history documentation that is a great tool because we have pictures and they're not the greatest pictures of this bridge, but we have pictures. We have other documents that uh, uh, maps. There's insurance map called San was it Sanborn, I believe. Sanborn, yep. Sanborn Fire San Church, yep. And other drawings that people have done about different kind of structures and buildings. And one of the things you learn real quickly is that um, uh, people did things for different reasons, like the Sanborn insurance. Those were actually basically a pencil drawn in to to allow underwriters to underwrite insurance. They weren't really interested in exact historical facts and and measurements and things. They they didn't really draw right. buildings to scale and stuff. Right. And that kind of stuff can get revealed when you do what you do because when you yeah. like like just take a picture, just take an old black and white picture. Those were done on old cameras long ago. Right. Some of them look amazing, <laughs> but depth perception and stuff can be way off on these things you want to elaborate a little bit on that yeah that's i think it's really the, the art of it it's not exactly just a science of, of figuring that out um i wish it were you know that every sometimes it takes a bit of work to make one photograph work with another uh and you know to get the structure that you want i think my fascination with this i've i've lived here 35 six years or something like that and my family was here and, and grew up in the northwest from third fourth generation and so I really care about the history. And but even living here as long as as long as I have, I wasn't really sure where these structures were. Like you walk around town, you, there's some of the iconic buildings are still there. You realize, oh yeah, that's the old community center or whatever. But you really don't know where was the forest in exactly, or where how the railroad work here. And like, you know, you read about it, that's one thing. But to actually start constructing it and to a scale, and then actually then starting to put it onto um, the topography. Uh, to understand how far away things were, you start seeing that it was a really rich, unusual environment. And I found all sorts of surprises, um, like the, the, we've, we just seen in our email chains, we've been talking about this overhead bridge that when the railroad put uh, its railroads right through town, no people could get, no longer get to the Monroe Highway. So they made a really big overpass crossing over the bridge, very, you know, very, very, uh, you know, D Darius Kinsey looking trestle wood thing, you know, just an amazing structure that you would never in a million years guess was there. Mm -hmm. And even with the, even with the, um, the, and then there's all this evidence everywhere around, both in the historical documents and people talking about it. But I find that the, I can look at an old photograph as many people who like this kind of stuff can for hours. I mean, it, 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 with, when it's digital, it's a different thing. Because those photographs, 
come, you know, they're one inch by two inches or they're tiny. And when they're originals, because that's how the, the film was expensive and that's how they, the negative came out. Once you scan that image, which is an analog image, it's very different than scanning or working with a digital image, which is just always, you know, based on how many pixels there are in it. And that's its level of quality. Being an analog image, its level of quality really dials down. And photography is an art that pretty much out of the box, invention wise, it was perfect. I mean, as long as they had good lenses, they figured out things quickly. So these old photographs, uh, the Kinsey photographs are notoriously this way, are beautiful and chock full of detail. I mean, you can just zoom in. And so once you scan that, it allows you to do that. Obviously, you could blow it up photographically. So the images that we have of the structures in Duval, there's, I would say there's less than 200, maybe 150 predating 1910, something like that. Some are apparently lost. There was a, uh, a historian named um, Martha Bar Barnett who wrote an early history and terribly reproduced. And those, many of those photographs appear to be un- uh, nobody knows where they are. Um, so, but there's this kind of iconic body of things, of photographs that when you look at them and start comparing one bridge picture, for example, with another or a forced in picture with the front and the back, you can reconstruct these things with just a few assumptions about dimensions. And then you're using something like the Sanborn map gives you more information because this actually is pretty accurate dimensionally, has all the buildings on it. Um, things like I see a photograph behind you of the 1940s um, Duval aerial photograph turns out to be a really accurate photograph of 1920 because nothing happened between 1920 1940 barely except um this uh, grain got built and the forest in burnt down a few things like that but pretty much you can see these empty lots of town that's kind of past its logger days and and, and, and in depression and in the depression absolutely just coming yeah. out of it in that, in that photograph yeah. but yeah so there's a lot of kind of inter interesting information. Plus, because of the technology that things like King County have for giving you aerial photographs that are really accurate and you can dial in Google Earth, those types of things. Um, and in the programs that I use, which are just really basic architectural programs, I can import topo topography and images. And then I can take all the old maps. Every, I have every single old map. So and that comprises of the original homestead map of 1870 of the valley. You know, it's very barren. Um, but it's beautiful, you know, hand ink drawn. It shows where the cricks were and the forests were. Um, all of the assessor maps that I know you you have as well, the um, ones that show the ownership of all the properties and how they transformed. You can uh, go and research all the patents, the Homestead Act allowed. And so you can see the ownership changing and how things kind of evolved and how the town got picked out. Then you can go to the King County archives and find the um, original short plats for Duval, you know, the, which are exactly like they are now. They're not, I mean, the streets that are named here, you know, Cherry and Stewart and Virginia and all those, you know, they're all the same exactly as they were in 1910, haven't moved an inch. And mm -hmm. that's true without parts too. So there's a really a, um, and then, you, and then you have some pretty great, uh, it's not, I, I wouldn't say it's as rich as Carnation's history in some ways, because we, there, are, I think there are kind of fewer, and I don't mean to say it that way, I just mean that there's more, uh, when I compare the two, it's a different kind of atmosphere in that way. And there were some Definitely. primary historians. Yeah. Um, and I don't think people quite honored as quite as much. I mean, Duval's Historic Society has really been the great worker bee in that department. But um, like, I think a lot of us rely on Alan Miller would be, you know, forever, but also Ralph Taylor's memoir of growing up here. But there's a lot of memoir, family memoirs. Um, but I, it's kind of lost in the body of, I don't know, it, you know, it's unless you get into it, start understanding. It's complicated, too, because a lot of this history, there's kind of this town of, and in Duval. And this is such a, um, uh, I believe, you know, uh, true for every little Pacific Northwest logger town comparing 
um, the town people, the Mannions and the Grangers and the Comedies. I mean, the guys that built the town, the promoters, the guys that all made that were the whole farm family community, which is now primarily along River Road and the other farms. Um, really the backbone i feel is that farm that farm family that's the consistent part that happens now and those are the people that still have family here i mean right. there's no dangers and there's no you know mrs hicks passed away here shortly ago and she was pretty much i wouldn't say she's the last one but she there aren't many there aren't any people you can talk to anymore that even know anything about that history except folks that have heard about it or read about it or or right. people like Alan Moore and the Costers. And I also want to make sure to include uh, Ken Costers also been really helpful from to me and just he is. A, he is. yeah really right. great memory on on um, on where things were and stuff. The other component too on uh, what, what interests me right now is first was just to build the town. I live right in the middle of old town and the Holy Innocence just burnt down last year and you can just see they're about to tear down the other church or talking about taking the other old um uh, church down here, down the street, down that way. So there's really a lot, you know, it's disappearing pretty quickly, as we already know, with the development outside. But in, even the inner core kind of just sort of, you know, goes away. There's still buildings and they're around. But um, I mean, I live just a block away from where uh, Ralph Taylor lived and his house is here. Remember all the, you know, the, the funks and those old families were here. Well, they're gone and their houses are still built. But you can go by, you know, Verl Bill uh, Bowes, 1912. Um, <laughs> or whatever house was built, a uh, house out there on Third and on Taylor, and it's just a, you know it's a development basically. They've incorporated a little tiny house into a, into another house, so it's changing, and and it, but it's still enough there to see. And certainly along Main Street, you can see the history of the different buildings, and the the things that have really have absented themselves in two big ways are really besides the bridge are the shingle mills of which there were two very close to us um the one right in town which is a great structure so i started building that and um the coster guys and everybody's been really helpful in that and identifying a very interesting structure which is really hard to look at the black and white photos it wasn't until i got the sandborn maps to really understand how the buildings work together and how it worked with the railroad uh and the, the second part is the uh, the um schools um there's those are amazing buildings up on the top where the school is now you know, uh, Cherry Valley School number three and Cherry Valley School number four were some really outrageous. I, I wouldn't have expected that kind of a beautiful building. Well, people forget that people, yeah. people forget that there was what's a high school. Uh, my right. I, I have my grandpa and grandma uh, yeah. graduated from Duval High School. A lot of people didn't know was that, that even existed. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I'm going to draw that next. Um, Alan Miller just sent. I have a. You have kind of a couple pictures of the back of it connected to the newer school when it was built, two two story story. But he just sent an earlier picture, which I hadn't seen before, of the front of it, which was really quite grand. You know, had big, big kind of Greek columns and and a church bell on top. I mean, a school bell on top. And so and so for an architect, being to be able to draw that and fairly accurately, I can. All I'll have is one picture, but I can build that building. Sides I can't see, I have to guess on, but usually things are pretty symmetrical. But you can you can do it, and you know you can make them really simple, or you can start drawing every piece of window trim, as you know. Um, and and uh, so there's really some really fascinating buildings. Yeah, that really brings it alive. So, hey, we got to yeah, break for just a moment. So, uh, well, sure. let's just break pause for just a couple minutes. We'll be right back. It's continue to talk to uh, Matthew about what he is lending to the preservation of uh, Duval history. So, be. We'll be right back. You're listening to Valley 104.9 FM, your station for Northwest eclectic music. Hi, I'm Seth Shostak, and I'm an actual scientist, although I don't wear a white lab coat. Maybe a straitjacket. I'm Molly Bentley. I'm a science journalist, and we are your hosts on Big Picture Science, bringing you the latest from the labs every week. 
So join us Thursdays at 6 p.m. for the coolest in science and technology, Big Picture Science. That's Thursdays at 6 p.m. right here on Valley 104.9 FM. Welcome back. We're uh, discussing some of Duval's history with uh, Matthew Waddington, who is uh, an architect who has uh, lent his uh, skills in uh, drawing these uh, pictures. Some of these structures, like the Duval Swing Bridge, of course, is long gone and such an impressive uh, structure that it was once. Matthew, I mean, it was one of the big first bridges built in the county. I mean, this thing was an impressive thing. Uh, it was yeah. built to allow the, the boats to go by. It was around by a couple of brothers that uh, basically mm-hmm. lived in close proximity. And the steamboat would literally whistle to them and let them know yeah. that they were on their way. And they would go out and they would actually use a crank and with human power, right. after releasing the anchors on both sides and lifting them up, they were actually able to, uh, you're the architect, explain to me right. how as they're turning this crank and this thing actually moves? Yeah, that's just a gearing ratio. And I, I none of that, I wouldn't, there's two parts of that. One is, uh, I wouldn't, I would only be, be able to guess from the photographs. Initially, I was starting to draw it. I thought this is a really cool structure. And they're really not, they're good, but they were, you know, it was right next to Hicks store. So people who don't know about that bridge and people who even know about it, sometimes don't know where it is. And if you think about it, it's kind of obvious if you live in Duval, uh, you come down Cherry Valley Road past the school as you're coming into town. And all of a sudden that Cherry Valley Road takes a total 90 degrees to the left into town. And if you look right across the river there, you'll see the river road coming to you exactly at the same angle as if they were connected, which they were. And they tore out that whole hillside, which makes it a big cliff there for the railroads. But before that, that just gently sloped down down to the river, caught the end of the bridge and the Hicks store was there. And a couple other buildings uh, with a church and a, and a community center were there. And you would just cross over in this bridge. Now, Bob Coster's asking why, uh, you know, he lived there for his life and his family's lived there forever and grandfathers and whatever. He's saying, well, why, why was it a sw- why was it there? not necessarily why I was there. I think the county just recognized that there was a need that they expected uh, a town to grow up there and the farm, you know, needed the connection. But, you know, the Knobsley Bridge down the road and the Carnation Bridge, those weren't swing bridges and, and tra- uh, traffic cross underneath them and boat traffic. So I'm not actually positive. I think it has something to do with the ability of getting it up high because the hillsides was high and you could build up to it. But um, and they, it, made, it did certain advantages. But um, the really uh, breakthrough on that was Alan Miller. He's, he, had, uh, he had done this 50 years ago. These were interests of his 50 years ago. He's, I think, moved on, but being really really a memory bank and a, a resource for materials, he had the original King County, I, I believe they're King County, might have been Washington State, uh, drawings, architectural drawings, engineering drawings of the bridge. <clears throat> and they weren't built exactly like the drawings, as nothing ever is. But it started telling me what member sizes were, what the gears were, and and Alan was able to explain certain things. There's, there were some extant, uh, are some extant um, modern bridges that are still turned this way, and it's purely a gearing mechanism in the center of the bridge. And and, and I also add that the Duval Historical Society actually has a model made. Um, I, I think one of the Engelbaums uh, back way back of the mechanism of the gearing and such. You know, it's simplified. But same concept. It had big rollers, and there's a big gear, and you stood in the middle of the bridge, two boys, and they just turn that, turn to put a T-handled crank in the middle. It fit on a socket and spun it around, and just you know, a little gear turns a big gear, and and that's how that worked. Um, 
And also there's a record for people that don't know the Duval Historical Society, besides having really great resources, I would add for newspapers, those all those newspapers that were done up to 19, up to the World War One, are online there. And also, and then it got switched over to the Mineral Monitor, which I just learned recently, also was online for those years. And so Duval's history was reported in those newspapers for a lot of interesting things. Um, all the way to modern times. I mean, Monitor took it over in 1916 or so, but you can still find that stuff. So that's that has a lot of information. And then also the older historical society, in, a modern one too, did a lot of recordings. So you can hear um, uh, Joe Doherty, I know it's Leo Doherty, I believe, being interviewed by Ralph Taylor, who I expected because he's British, would have a British accent, which he doesn't. <laughs> I, thought he was, I, don't know I never knew him. As, I, think I, I think he was here when I moved, but he, I never got to know him. Um, but he lived here all his life. So, but uh, Joe, Do I think Leo Doherty's who's interviewing, and he talks about going down the bridge and what you're just talking about, seeing the river. He also doesn't say Duval. He actually says Duval. It's all you know because mm. he's a French. I mean, so he knew him as Francis and James Duval. So he never says, uh, you know, Ralph asks him about Mr. Duval, and uh, he says, well, Mr. Duval, you know, so you, 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 know, you kind of switch, switch the pronunciation from probably what it really was over the years. That's um, interesting. Anyway, so, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's, that explains all. That's why the school's up there uh, on the hill, the original yeah. graveyard, which there's still yeah. a couple of grades up there, is, is up there. That was kind of the center of yeah. town at the time there was kind of a duval cedar cedar valley type of a distinction yeah. going on then and yeah. uh and fascinating just uh, uh, absolutely uh, interesting stuff you know i wanted to talk a little bit more about what you do one one of the things i like about looking at these creations after uh, you know someone like you gets a hold of them is when your entire concept of a town is based on your memory, uh, your brain processing right. visuals yeah. of a bunch of photographs together, you will come up with somewhat of a distorted uh, view of what that actually looks like because you just can't quite do that. When you're yeah. actually able to put it all on paper and know that it is to scale and you've taken, yeah. I think it makes the town come alive in a certain way yeah. that you won't be able to experience any other way. And while that is interesting enough to us uh, old folks to see things in slightly a, a different way, the neat thing about making these digital records of this and being able to come alive like this is, and the, one of the reasons why I am really, really uh, happy that you're doing this and others are doing this around the country with uh, different records is this makes it interesting to the young folks. Let, let's just face the facts. That, you know, we're always yeah. one generation away from losing lots of things if you don't interest that generation. Right. And this will make this more interesting and alive for uh, younger people that are more digitally connected than than some of the, uh, the others of us. Yeah. It, it makes it and it's able to be used in conjunction with other mediums. You just mentioned Google Maps should be able to like sure. download this over the put this over the top of google maps and see exactly where Absolutely. these things were in relation to where things are today right yeah i think that well some of this is going to be beyond my capabilities because i'm not a youngster um but uh and i can do what i do and i and i think one of the questions that begs is what you know so i make these images or make the model how do you um make it, how do you format it like what's the actual uh final product and so I'll have images and a model and and but trying to understand what the best way is to present it or share it 
Um, mm -hmm. You know, obviously a lot of the technology that people have, you know, in, in you know, like the movies and things like that, it's hard to make, for example, these images look as interesting as the photographs because the age that was involved and the dirt and the, you know, the broken stuff everywhere and old stumps and stuff. That's all, I mean, that, you know, you could be, you know, Peter Jackson or Steven Spielberg and you have your crew build all that stuff, but I, it's just me. So things can be a little, look a little uh, sanitary, you know, clean. Um, and so I think kind of my thought is not to worry about that so much. I do have to find out. I mean, obviously one mechanism would be to share with just, I'll do this is just set up a, a website of some sort, just with multiple images comparing and maybe talking about how it's done. And I would think hopefully inspire some future kid, and I shouldn't say kid, but future person with those talents or interests to build on that and, and bring it. Cause I, that's certainly there. I mean, the ability to be able to, you know, you can just see it being a more of a 3D, you know, those kids wearing the 3D glasses and all that stuff. I mean, I, that's completely, I do a lot of stereoscopic work photographs, but um, that gets to a level which I you know, I could see being happened not too difficultly. Um, obviously, if I could figure out how to make a video game out of it, uh, it would attract a lot of youngsters, I suspect. But I don't know if that game would be, you know, some logging game or whatever, <laughs> <laughs> turning the bridge. Wait. You know, you, yeah. you talked about it being like somewhat sanitized and stuff like this, but let's face it. We uh, look at what those old pictures look like when they are colorized. They look yeah. entirely different than when they're black and white, yeah. because we think old things always That's look true. old, but at one time they That's were new. True. Yeah. When all this was uh, at one time, this was all uh, yeah. a new. So that's what it looked like back in 1910. It was, it was a new looking bridge and, uh, because it was new. So what are some of the other projects? We talked a lot about the bridge. You mentioned a couple yeah. others. What are a couple of the other things you're working on? Well, the basic back interest to this is just, again, going, I think it was inspired by a, a Seattle cartoon of Seattle's development. You know, uh, somebody done an aerial shot of the town before the Jennies got there. The road went in a little bit more road and they did this and they infilled that. They built a, you know, that kind of idea. And doing that with Seattle's, it would be a tremendous job. But do well in the towns like it, the small, you can kind of get your head around. So I sort of thought um, to being able to map, almost do it by year by year, like, okay, here it is in 1870, the Duval, the, um, Francis Duval and shows up and, you know, and, you know, Ant Whistle down there, he's there already. And, and um, you know, Governor Stevens has already did a pretty shameful job of clearing the Indians out of everything and everything's been surveyed and, and set up for townships. You can just see that marching along. And understanding when the roads punch through, like when do these things happen? You can kind of map that out year by year by year. So my kind of vision at first was really to be, do almost like a Google map visually. I mean, looking down on this whole project, whole area, uh, picking a, a limit to it and watching that forest go away. You know, like you can just do it. You just erase it in Photoshop and just start building <laughs> this thing and watch the roads. You know, I don't have enough information just to know how, like, how did Kelly Road get built? Like, when did that all go through? It was logging roads and it was this and the railroads were passing. It's really complicated. So I kind of had to give up on that. But when you start confining it to a smaller spot, like from here to the Costers, you know, up, up the side of the Cherry Valley Road and the Doherty Farm stuff, you can get your head around that a little bit more. You can see in the maps that Allen has, the railroad maps, you can see when the Great Northern came through and it punched through. Boy, they cut that and we got photographs of this. And you can build all that. And too, with town, too, Main Street, we've got some great classic pictures of Main Street that can be built. So my idea is just to kind of do that and then, and then do try to do a chronology of that in the sense of like take one photograph and show the view year after year as it changed. And it, I, I really wouldn't think about going much past 1920 or so because it pretty it becomes pretty static. Uh, many things happen, but you got to kind of confine the scope because for Duval, 
almost everything gets built 1910. It's like 1910, 1911. It gets incorporated. You get all these, these two promoters, Stevens and Bird. Those are our streets. And if people don't know, their wives, apparently, they don't know the biggest facts, are Virginia and Stella. I live on Stella. You know, so they're they're married to, I hope they're the, the correct wives of the next, the, the correct gentlemen on the streets that Stella and Stevens are. Uh, and so they have this all incorporated in the town. Um, and I think that just getting that drawn and and showing you can all that stuff's information is there. It's pretty fascinating. Yeah, especially to, the historical record. Yeah, to the the time frame thing would be really real helpful too because that's yeah. another thing that distorts us our interpretation of uh, of remembering these things is that we always have the present day brought into it. And so, like if you look at old picture, we just we just saw a uh, uh, in this email string that uh, we alluded to earlier. There was a mention of like, well, where's the road? Well, there was no road before the right. and and that was interesting. I just was last night. I was reading an article by Bob, uh, Bob Coster's dad, Bob, yeah, good, good. Uh, years ago, and they, he he was talking about the Ridge Centers, which for those of you, if any of you don't know, this was a prominent uh, Duval family that lived up north of town on the River Road, dairy farmers, a big, big, big family. And they talked about the fact that the road was so primitive to their farm when they started farming that, that they kept the car on the other side of the river and would roll right. over <laughs> to the uh, to the car. And one time they went to go to church and the tires had been stolen off the car and they had a big enough family that they could just, they, they just went back home and held church there. And when you had a family the size of the richest centers, you can do that. <laughs> yeah, great story. Yeah, the river road deserves its own history completely as well. I mean, just because the folks and the families along, I think they call it Dutch road, Dutch road, you know, because the yeah. Dutch families are, yeah. There's a great little poem in one of the books about, uh, about that place. And yeah. And, 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 you know, those are really the main historians, you know, like Alan course and, and Bob Coster's both of them, dad and, and son, Bob wrote so much for the, um, for that paper and, and, you know, the Burns and, and all sorts of people that made that happen. And so anybody who's interested in the history, that'd be the first place to turn. I would recommend reading Alan, John Funk's uh, right. stories from the 57, 1950s. Yeah. Those are just great. And once you start getting your head around it a little bit, you start wondering, well, where was that? And how, you know, where did that happen? If, I mean, if it strikes you, it struck me. And I every, every four or five years, I get interested. But this time I got interested in a much bigger way. And I right. felt like uh, this is starting to kind of gel. And also, you can <laughs> also you get hyper aware because like what we just talked about, you know, Velma and Verl are gone and Ruth Bellamy is gone. And uh, all these people that could have told you if you just walked over and knocked on their door and, and did tell many things, many, many oral histories and recordings are made of them. The historical society has. But certainly a go to place would be this, uh, you know, a plug for the historical society's wagon wheels and those things are just a really great evening read if you have an interest in the uh, ralph taylor's book i think uh, i think i think it's pretty darn good actually first time i read it, i was yeah. kind of bored but second time i went wow okay <laughs> that must have been quite the experience so i'm fascinated well yeah. matthew this has been a great delight i really appreciate you coming on today and explaining Thank a little you. bit more about what you do and folks if you're a little bit interested in this and i'm sure you will be there's a newsletter put out by the duval historical society that i just got my digital copy of, through email today that has a couple pictures of some of matthew's work on that on that so i'm sure if you go to the website it's uh, i haven't actually checked it out because i saw it by a direct email but i'm sure it's yeah. out there on the website you'd be able to see uh, some of the work that he's done 
on his drawings of the bridge. And I really do appreciate what you're doing because I think it brings a different perspective into historical documentation that I can really see some value at, especially for the next generation. So Matthew, it's been a delight talking to you. Thank you for your time today to explain a little bit of this. Yeah, I, I, I really pleasure. I'm glad to share it. I'm, and I will try to figure out how to get that online. If I had my uh, wits about me, I'd have a website already I could lead you to, but that'll that'll be in a couple of weeks or something like that. So not too hard okay. to do, but just, just share some images. Yeah. Okay. Thank you, Dwayne. And, well, hey, folks, well, please join us. And remember, this show broadcasts twice a week now, so you can also join us at uh, 4.30 on Sunday. And until next week, uh, so long, please tune in next week while we continue to discover the history of this wonderful place we call the Snoqualmie Valley. Bye-bye. <laughs>